bringing in the new Torneo Apertura with a slightly weakened squad this week. Welcome to Hand of Pod. Possibly slightly harsh on um, on on the replacements, but we've for the first time actually Hand of Pod is being presented to you today without a single supporter of a first division team in in the room. Um, I'm Sam Kelly. I'm a River Plate fan, and as some of you may already be aware, River went down in frankly controversial circumstances. The AFA refusing to rig their final match for them, as had long been expected. Uh, I'm joined by Ferrocarril Weste fan Daniel Colasimone. Hello. And owing to the fact that our two Racing fans are both on holiday, they're clearly terrified of uh, Racing's capitulation to Tigre this weekend. Seb is in Rio de Janeiro, and Dan's on the beaches of sunny Brighton. We've drafted in at, at short notice. We're very pleased to have him here, a man with a jaw hewn from <laughs> finest granite. <laughs> Please welcome a, a man with a face for television and a voice for radio, Joel Richards. Thanks very much for having me on. I'm delighted to be here. Uh, would you like to tell the lovely listeners who you support, Joel, or are we... Uh, um, I'm, no, no, I don't have a team in Argentina. So no. I know this is, we always we always argue about this, but uh, <laughs> no teams here. We'll get it out of you one day. The the torneo apertura begins this weekend uh, with uh, some fairly dull fixtures. There's one that really stands out above any of the others. But the big news of the last week, uh, of course, is that the new championship, which was due to start this time next year, which which we spent so long talking about on the last podcast with Jonathan Wilson isn't going to be happening now, or is almost definitely not going to be happening, or may be subject to a vote sometime in November or possibly sometime before the end of the century, depending on how Julio Grandona's mood suits him. The AFA weren't really ready for the fans' backlash, were they, guys? No, I think the, I mean, the whole thing kind of backfired on, on Grandona, and it was supposed to be a move to, to, to gain him popularity and, and just the, the immense backlash uh, from the fans, uh, and the anger and and the, and the ridicule that they got just I think forced them to take a huge step back, which which is a real sign of a weakness that we haven't really seen before from from Rondona. So yeah, I think it's pretty much cancelled now that that idea. Yeah, no, I, t- I totally agree. And and you know we were both at the at the march at AFA um, just just yesterday, and uh, you know and there were about forty thousand people that wrote that said they were going to be going to, the, to this march on, on Facebook and you know, there were marches planned all around the country and what, 350 people maybe yeah, in it, total. It was cancelled the day before. A lot of people said possibly something to do with the, you know, this, this march and everything. Uh, and very, very chilly weather as well in fairness and you can't expect Argentines <laughs> to, to go out when it's less than 10 degrees Celsius. No, yeah, you're right. I mean, it was, it was a good move by Grondona in terms of, you know, he obviously seen he and, and everyone else at AFRA as well. It's not just, I mean, it is him leading uh, the ship of course but uh, everyone else kind of uh, seeing what the uh, response was by by all the fans but that certainly took out the um, a lot of the anger from from most of the fans uh, for the, for the idea of the new format but then you know there's a lot of people saying as well that that, that perhaps once they've kind of stopped talking about this quite so much and in October when there are the elections both at AFA and at the, in, in the government as well uh, which obviously is very important 
with this whole issue mm. um, that maybe it'll be maybe it'll come back again and there may be talks about it once again so we'll have to wait and see whether or not it really is dead and buried or whether it's going to come back to haunt us yeah brave man bringing up the government in this as well Joel if Sever had been here he'd have just ripped your head off the <laughs> that, I think um, I'm glad to see that you're okay as well Joel because I saw uh, I saw you escaping from that, that firecracker explosion uh, and uh, I thought you, you, know, had, you had a terrified look on your face I don't know it was, it was an astonishing... I mean, to call it a firecracker isn't fair, it was a bomb. I mean, you know, the journalist next to me said, just tap me on the shoulder and watch out, look at that. And I turned around and it looked just to be a nice, nice little pink flare, just a little uh, you know, firecracker. And it was, uh, it was incredible, incredible force. But I don't think I felt the... I think the police took, took most of the... Uh, no, yeah, right, right in the middle of the police. Uh, yeah, and as you said, that's... Uh, if, there's supposed to be 40, 40, 45,000 people at this thing, and so there's a huge police presence there, which um, I, I, let, I think both of us left fairly early, but there, there was probably a couple of hundred people there, right? And it was. But you're right, I mean, it was, they, they came prepared. I mean, they had tanks there, they cut off the whole street, uh, the block just in front of AFA to make sure that, that none of the fans could get, get close. AFA was closed up about an hour and a half beforehand, they had all the, all the blinds were, were dropped. It's so so they security conscious kind of area of town as well because it's right around the corner from the uh, the main law courts in central Buenos Aires so they're, they're well deployed already in the, yeah uh, with the, 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 the regularity of, of protests and stuff that the, the police are very well <laughs> drilled in this kind of thing uh, pretty much every day they, they, they set up the fences and as you say block off the street uh, there's excessive police force there yeah. we, I, I gather that um, there were one or two signs being held up uh, which kind of tie into one of the questions that our listeners have sent in via Twitter in the last sort of 20 minutes as well we've had one from Midfield Diamond who asked would the situation be any better if Diego Maradona was president of, of the AFA I'm not entirely sure whether he's being serious but there were one or two fans apparently wanting Maradona <laughs> brought in in exactly that position well one of the chants which is fairly ubiquitous in Argentine football is the Diego chant started up at one stage and I'm not really sure whether, <laughs> whether they were being serious or just decided to you know, invoke the name of Diego but uh, it would be quite interesting if Diego was head of Alpha I'm not sure how things would be run in that case I'm not sure it would be any worse than having Grondona would it? It might be a little less corrupt, possibly a bit more incompetent, but a little less consciously corrupt than. <laughs> I just can't even begin to imagine how it would be if if, would, if Maradona was were to be voted. If even if he was to, can you imagine the the, the campaign? If he was, if he were to say I'm going to run for AFA presidency, the country would just turn into absolute chaos. I, I can't I can't see it happening. But but you're right about the Diego chant. It's just all the time. Whenever it seems you know whenever something goes wrong with, with the football team, then it's like oh let's let's. Chancellor for Diego, you know whether, and it's not clear whether they want him to play or to, to be the coach, or as you said, maybe even to take over AFA. But uh, yeah. no, it, it would be um, it would be interesting. I can't see how it would be any worse, as I say, than than having Grondona in. But we're never going to find out, sadly. But the other thing with that, but though, the question is, with Grondona's enormous misjudging of, of the public mood over this, it, obviously it's not the public who vote for Grondona as AFA president, unfortunately. <laughs> um, but. There are, there are one or two suggestions this week in the Argentine press that he's started to maybe lose the plot slightly for the first time really since he's been in charge at the AFA that, that he's misjudged something in, in terms of some of the new ideas he's been trying to bring in. Do you see anything in that? Or? Well, I think going back to what I said before, this is the first time that you see sort of a, a real sign of weakness from him and whether that will whether that means that others have the the confidence to sort of try to attack his power is, is another issue but uh, yeah we've never seen this kind of thing before and like as you're saying 
the, the fans are so strongly against it, but in a way that that affects him because then the club presidents uh, feel the pressure of the fans, and then they start they, then they started coming out in, the, in in public and saying, "Well, we're not really sure about this," and and, mm. and that's what directly affects him. They're the ones who vote for him as president. Yeah, no, I was, I was just going to say that you know whenever something like this happens, if there's a scandal with the art, with the uh, with the referees, or if River Plate go down, or if the national team doesn't do well. You know, everyone always says it's Grondona's fault. It's it's a one size fits all uh, argument and and complaint that that everyone in Argentina has about the football. And clearly, there are lots of other people in the in the decision making process. And with this league format that was so unpopular, no, there's not a single club that voted against it. Mm-hmm. There was only four four clubs that, that abstained, and then 22. And, yeah. Sure, and then 22 uh, clubs voted for it. So. And then in turn, you know, the, the, it's, the, it's the members, the socios, who vote in the presidents of, of the clubs. Yeah. So, so, you know, ultimately there are ways to, to change things, but, but clearly there's a structure at where, where everyone pulls in the same direction and, and no one's willing to, to speak out. Mm. But at the same time, for the clubs then to say that, this, that they weren't happy with, the, uh, with this new format and this new idea of merging the two, the two divisions together... Is, is slightly ridiculous because they all voted for it. Yeah, and, and one of the very few who didn't, one of those abstentions was, was All Boys, um, whose president, uh, Roberto Bugallo, or Roberto Bugalu, as I prefer to refer to, <laughs> um, was, was quite vocally, he was, there was an interview, actually it was, I saw it quoted on the Olay website, I'm not sure whether it was an interview with Olay or, or with one of the local radio stations uh, yeah, a couple radio, of days yeah. later, I think it was on the radio, and, um, and he was saying that, that he read through all of the plans and and didn't see any way to uh, to make it work, and that was why he'd abstained rather than voting in favour. And, and when they said, why do you think so many of the other presidents were happy to vote in favour, he sort of went, maybe they're faster readers than I am. It was a very thick report, and I didn't have the chance to, <laughs> to read well, it. Yeah, it, was, it was either him or... Which obviously he was being sarcastic. Yeah, yeah. it was either him or the Belles, uh, yeah, Belles also vice president um, yeah. who was there, who said... We, we weren't informed of this officially or in any other way before the meeting. Mm. So they get to the meeting... They get informed about this right. completely new tournament, a completely bizarre idea of combining the, the, the B and the A. And 22 people voted for it without any further investigation or you know, talking to, to people at their club or anything. So it just shows you how much thought they put into it. Mm. Yeah, no, no, and, and it's funny what you were saying about uh, if Seva was here, then he'd bite my head off uh, for arguing <laughs> against the government. And it, it's, you know, and it's, but it is impossible not to, not to talk about this, given that the government are the rights holders. They're the... They're the the, 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 the partner, if you like, in, with the business. They, they pay the AFA for the TV rights to televise. And, and it was the Lanús president whose name escapes me just now, but he said um, that it was clearly pressure from above. He didn't specifically say, but we'll understand what that means. So, um, and, you know, he's saying that that's why they voted for it, that there was... Yeah. That, AFA looked to push this through so, so there's, there's lots of factors going on and this also influences as well the line of questioning that you get on radio stations and on certain um, TV channels and in, in certain papers as well because they're, they're interested there as well you know with the change in, in TV rights Well in some way it influences the, the questions that you get in, in every newspaper because even the ones who aren't government supporting are then going to ask questions that are criti- more critical of whereas obviously the ones who are government who are government supporting are going to ask Less hard-going questions, I'd say. No, exactly. Which is why then, you know, the coverage that gets here, you know, you have to ask questions about how it's being reported, um, and which is why also it's very difficult to get any, any sort of clear idea of what is actually happening and, and what are the facts here, because everyone's contradicting each other. And you know, even with the the idea in itself, you know, the AFA spokesperson uh, Cherokees Bialo came out and said that it was if River Plate hadn't gone down, then this would never have happened. Which is 
you know, probable, yeah. but then AFA came out and, and said that that's not the case at all, or Grandona said that's not the case. So, you know, it, there's lots of crosswires, lots of contradictions going on here. So it's, uh, you know, it's a difficult one to, to decipher. And, um, and we'll again, as I said, I'm, I'm not convinced that the, the project's down and uh, buried at all. I'm sure, fairly sure that in a couple of months' time, when it's, uh, uh, when it's all died down a little bit, yeah. I, I imagine it's going to going to be discussed once again. Yeah, and, and talking about the the, the, the factor of the, the TV rights and everything with this football para todos, the, the government channel showing games. Uh, we've seen now that uh, now with River in, in the second division, they've now they now have the rights to the second division as well. You know, mm. a similar move that they did uh, last time around by taking the, the uh, first division rights. Now they they have the rights to show I think four or six games of the second division. Yeah. Coincidentally, of it course, it would have been interesting if they'd taken the rights the whole of the second division off them and they tried to stream <laughs> the whole lot on public TV over one weekend. <laughs> well, something similar would happen if they tried to uh, combine the, the, the league in, in yeah. a year. You know, so. Yeah, absolutely. No, I have to say, as a River fan, I'm I'm quite pleased that River are going to have to to play for the promotion again now because. I mean, apart from anything else, it, it's uh, you know, as a River fan and also as a, a journalist and as somebody who's has, has an interest in the history of the Argentine League, I think to an extent, if River had got this promotion again just by default, and also, of course, there was never any secret made of the fact that this was being done to make sure that the other four of the Big Five could never go down, with three of them, as we'll discuss in a minute, in danger of relegation um, at the moment, potentially, in the new season. Um, it would have kind of rendered this more than a century without break in the top flight the River have had meaningless if, if you then the year they do go down just go oh you know what no one can go down from now on from that group because Boca and Independiente have now got a, a record to aim for to you know they'll both be, I'm assuming they'll, they'll both be wanting to try and beat River's what 102 and a half years in, in the first division um, and had the AFA then basically said brought in this, this system allowing none of the big five to, to be relegated effectively that record would, would become meaningless, really. It wouldn't be something that they could be, really be proud to have beaten because, I mean, so what? <laughs> the system's that heavily tilted in your favour. No, I, I totally agree, and I've spoken to quite a few, uh, a couple of good friends of mine, uh, River Plate supporters, and they, they feel exactly the same way, which is that they want the club to, to come back. I know quite a few of them are angry with, with some of the, the players who are kind of wind, not winding down their careers, but late 20s, early 30s in Europe, who started out at River Plate and have made had very good careers on the back of of starting out with with River Plate and being success, successful there. They feel that they sh- those players like Crespo, like Demichelis, these kind of players should have come back and, and helped out the club. But the point is though that they they want to to come back to get back to the first division on merit. Yeah. And and in the same way, some of the players who have come back, like Cavinaghi and and Chori Dominguez, you know these players, if they manage to to take the club up in the first in this season well, if, if they manage it exactly they'll, they'll go down in history in the club's history and, and I should say as well that um, ha- having just made that point about the system being skewed in favour and the record effectively being meaningless <coughs> I am aware that River would have been relegated in 1983 but for the system being changed um, I, I just feel that a further change you know it, it's it, it's the upper jumping the shark and it, it would have just rendered it completely and totally meaningless but the system was changed after San Lorenzo went down it wasn't changed for River Plate River Plate were the first club to to benefit from it. Oh, they didn't change it at the end of that season, I thought they were. Well, I was under the impression that this is kind of one of the arguing points, isn't it, when yeah. it was implemented. Yeah, nobody seems to <laughs> quite Yeah, agree. yeah, I know I know. one of the journalists here, Vas- Juan Pablo Vasquez, said yeah. that he said it's myth that it was just to save River Plate. Yeah. But it, it is true, though, that it was to save the big clubs. Yeah. So it was implemented after San Lorenzo went down and it was talked yeah. about. And as well, I've heard both. 
motivation. <laughs> I think it just depends on who, who you're talking to, right, who they support. I, I'm going to put the microphone down for a minute so that um, Ozzy, Dan and I can recharge our fair net glasses with, with some proper Coca-Cola because we've been drinking it with Diet Coke and it's bloody horrible up until now. And then when we come back, we'll, we'll get off the subject of the 2012-13 season, which isn't going to happen, <laughs> and onto the subject of the 2011 Afed Dora, which hopefully, Almost certainly is gonna happen. fingers crossed, uh, is happening uh, as of them now anyway. Uh, we'll be back in a second. I wrote to them last week asking them for sponsorship and they, they haven't got back to me. So we'll say please go out and buy Fernet Ramazzotti or 1882, they're both very good. Um, they're not, is not bad actually. They're, they're not the one that we drink because they're not as nice as the one that we drink, but we're going to stop mentioning the name now until they start giving I, us I reckon that one, that's the year and not the, the, the name, yeah. uh, almost like a colour. Um, I reckon they'd be quite likely to sponsor you actually because they're, they're trying a war against these, these ones. Oh, that's so, yeah, yeah. that TV. Yeah, are they based in Buenos Aires or in? Yeah, I think so. Oh, they might be. Oh, they Cordoba uh, as well. Okay. All of the fan of any brand in Argentina is made in Cordoba, right. seemingly. Uh, Ramazzotti might be in Buenos Aires, but it's bloody. <laughs> so, anyway, we digress. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 2011 torneo apertura, guys. Other than presumably Vélez still being looking like the best side in the country um, over the winter break, they, they, they've let go Ricardo Alvarez who's not a huge loss in terms of their regular starters even though he's a huge name transfer or became a huge name transfer towards the end of the season and Maxi Morales who's gone to Atalanta in Italy um, but that, other than that, that quite well be a bigger bigger influence on them is that Maxi Morales guy yeah exactly playmaker I mean precisely um other than those, do we see any other sides who can who can challenge them for the title? Is it going to be the same suspects as last year? Mm-hmm. Godoy Cruz and Lanús, um, or have we got other teams who've, who've come through the winter? Well, obviously, we've all been concentrating more on the Copa America for most of the last month, and then during the last week, probably wanted to have a bit of a break. But what well, do we well, think? The clubs have—it's not just us. The clubs have as well, and and they're even talking about trying to push back the the transfer window a little bit because. Mm-hmm. Because there was because of the uncertainty over the league. As we're speaking, it ends in two days' time. Is that right? Uh, I think so. Yeah, and they, I heard just today that they were talking about perhaps changing changing that because clubs because of the uncertainty over the the following seasons uh, how how, it's, how that's going to be uh, the yeah. format for the following season. Um, for, uh, I was just going to say for Lanús, there's a huge question for them over Diego and Valeri mm. as what's going to happen there today. He was uh, he kind of he, he broke his silence. As they, lo- as they love to say, and uh, and he, st- he basically explained what was going on, which was that uh, he, he he wanted to move on or, or get an improved contract. Lanus said um, that they weren't going to do that, and now he's training uh, in solitary. A bit of a Joey Barton situation going on there, <laughs> and it, either he's going to sit out the final year of his contract, Lanus, and not play, which is what is basically what he's been told mm. um, would happen. Or he'll move on, and Vélez were certainly interested in him yeah, to replace it, with the money. That'd and, be a fantastic signing. Yeah, I mean, if, if Valeri went to Vélez, they'd be really, really strong. Mm. Uh, but certainly for, for Lanús to, to kind of carry on the last what, four or five years they've had where they've been really strong, um, I think that's the biggest question mark. I don't know what you... And I think it's quite admirable of Lanús that the, at least that the board are rigid about this 
financial structure. Obviously, we, we were discussing in, in one of the episodes during the Clausura about the fact that they're a very fiscally tight, tightly run club. At the same time, given everything that, as, as Valeri was saying in this interview, he's been with the club since he was nine years old, um, with the exception of his couple of years in, in Russia uh, and all the rest of it. it it's a li- I think if, for, for the president to say, if we double his wages, we'd have to double the whole rest of the squad's wages, is a little bit... Well, his, his point was also, though, that said from the very start of the negotiations, it was you either renew or you will not play for the next year. Mm. And this is what he, according to him, um, that, that was the way that they, they started the, the contract right. discussions, which is, which is why he's reacted in, in the way that he has. So, um, but you're right, I mean, and also for them it would be an opportunity. Vélez would, would pay decent money for him. could be a, a good opportunity to sell him. So uh, let's have to wait and see how that one yeah, obviously a key factor because as we we've, we talked about him a lot, especially at the end of last year, uh, as one of the best players, uh, if not the best player in the uh, Klaus Huda last year. Um, mm. So if, if he stayed in Argentine football, it would be very interesting, especially as you say, going to somewhere like Vélez uh, would really strengthen the team. Uh, or otherwise, yeah, going back overseas, I guess, is the other option. Um, yeah, other teams. Um, as you said, I haven't even hardly thought about the the. Uh, apertura until basically today when I realised we had to do this <laughs> podcast um, and I had to look through all the you know the, the players that have been signed and sold on and I think Banfield looks like they've they've strengthened their squad a bit and they were a very solid team last year so um, and Lopez is great buy yeah brilliant, yeah, brilliant buy I think where, they got him from where was he was it Estudiantes and then where was he last season uh, Vélez yeah uh, no sorry yeah. wrong way around yeah so he was at Vélez then so, went yeah. to Estudiantes uh, yeah you're right I think he's a really good buy for them. Yeah, so they, they look like. Well, I'm not sure where they finished in the end last year, but they were always one of the teams kind of up there. Um, and if they've strengthened a bit, because I think most teams have probably been weakened slightly. Um, team like Estudiantes, uh, obviously they had a really poor Clausura, but we know that they have a, a squad good enough to, to challenge for the title. They bought pretty well. As, they, they bought well. It's it's hard. It's going to be really interesting to see how they go because they've obviously they've lost uh, perhaps their best player in Enzo Perez. They've lost a good defender in Fernandez who went to Napoli. Mm-hmm. Um, but they have they bought what they needed, which is a number nine, Moselli. Yeah. And, and so really interesting to see how the balance of the team goes there. And they've had a very mixed preseason, but the. Um the, the other really good news for them is that Juan Sebastián Marón finally signed his new contract today after a lot of talk about wh- whether he would or wouldn't which was bizarre because it clearly wasn't anything to do with money I mean Marón's never played for money for Estudiantes at any rate um, at any point in his career he spent most of his career in Europe he was sending money back to the club to keep them running so it's, it's obviously not about wages um, it was more about the ambition of the board or Internal politics, maybe because he was talked about as an assistant for Sabella. Yeah, did we did we mention that last week? Was that already broken news? No, Sabella was. No, we didn't mention that. Well, let's talk about that later. But um, (coughs) there was some talk about Veron becoming some sort of assistant for Sabella, so that might have had something to do with it as well. I guess uh, he'll be sticking around with uh, Estudiantes for a while, and a lot will depend on his fitness. For example, Uh, if he can play a a full season. Definitely, it looks like Estudiantes is a completely different team with him. Yeah, yeah I think that's definitely one of the con- concerns for him. You're right, but it's both the, the idea of him 
being involved with the national team setup, but also um, his fitness. You know, he had an injury. I think it's an ankle injury he's had. Uh, I, I don't think he's ready to play, even no. if uh, well, he had surgery found. on it, didn't they? So he's sure, going to sure. take a while before he's fully fit again. But I mean, they they brought well, you know, as well as bringing back Bosselli. It sounds like they're going to bring back Ancelotti as well, mm. who I mean, didn't he's had a nightmare in England, hasn't played at all, but. Um, He's a, he's a very good player, you know, and, and certainly for the Argentine league, he, he does very well. And they brought one in for the um, ladies as well. <laughs> that's you saying that, Sam? <laughs> no, you, you've seen the video. <laughs> I, I think I'll, you need to tell the story. <laughs> I'll, I'll post this video on the Hand of Pod blog. Oh, uh, I, I was sent it by a Sunderland fan blog who I did a Q and A on Angelari for when they signed him uh, back in January. <laughs> Um, saying, have you got any idea? Or actually, they signed him last year, didn't they? But I was, it was about when he'd been there for about six months without having played. And they said, have you got any idea what this video is? And I haven't a clue. It, it, but it's astonishing, and I'll, I'll try and remember to post it on the Hand of Pod uh, blog when I put this. It is absolutely on. bizarre, isn't it? I mean, it's yeah. basically Ancelotti just at Suyanta's training ground, <laughs> uh, warming up and then going into the shower. But I mean, it's, 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 it's really quite revealing. I mean, yeah. I, I don't quite know what it's for. And with the music to Chariots of Fire, <laughs> which is the funniest part of all. I think for Estudiantes He's an attractive addition to the squad I think for Estudiantes The biggest unknown for them Is going to be Miguel Angel Russo The, the new manager Who's obviously worked for Estudiantes before and, But with Racing last year He was never quite um, I mean he started really well And then faded a fair bit it, it, It's going to be interesting to see Whether he can Obviously he's won titles with Boca in, in the past, it'll be interesting to see whether he can get back into that frame of mind with the Estudiantes, and particularly given that his racing side were fairly attack-minded. And Estudiantes, under both Sabella, where they were very, very balanced, and then under uh, the other guy during the Clausura, whose name I've forgotten. Verisa. Um, well done. Thank you, John. Um, yeah, un- un- under their previous two managers, they've not been as all-out kind of attacking as, as Russo's, certainly Russo's racing side were. Obviously, Russo's Boca were slightly more again balanced uh, but it'll be interesting to see what he does with their squad yeah but you know I think the Studiantes have this I was reading an interview with Sabella just the other day after the news that he's been officially given the job as the national team coach and he was talking about his time at Studiantes and obviously he played there as well Um, and you know there's this thing about Studiantes where they're not one of the so-called grandes one of the Mm. traditional big five but they've got an amazing history and there's a real sort of humility at the club and so players who've been at, been there and who've come through, I think they've got an, an amazing spirit. And they talk a lot about the mystica, you know, this idea of um, of, of, of folklore, if you like, at, at the club. And, and Russo's got that. So you're right about in terms of you know, it'd be interesting to see exactly how he plays and whether he goes for a more defensive or more attacking side. But but I mean, I think ultimately they're you know they're, they're going to be very tightly knit. And I think they'll be really, really strong however they decide to set up, whether it's kind of slightly more expansive football or, or whether they, as you said, a slightly more defensive. Um, and the fact that Russo, though, is, came through there at much the same time, I think, as Sarela, um, I, think, I think they'll be really, really strong this year. Any other contenders? Well, now that we're talking about Racing, I was wondering what you guys think about them now that, say, Gio Moreno is back would be the, the big factor with that. He's, he's expected to come back for the third or fourth. Oh, all right, he's not, um, he's not even fit yet. Although Patricio Toronzo is going to be filling in for him uh, in the first couple of matches, and he's looked fairly good during pre-season from, from what I've read. But yeah, uh, I mean, from, from what I've read about Racing's pre-season, obviously our, our two Racing fans, as we've already mentioned, have run scared to other countries for this, <laughs> this preview. Um, but they, they've had a... A fairly good pre-season defence-wise, as you'd expect from a, a side coached by Diego Simeone. Um, 
that they've struggled a bit in attack, which obviously a lot of that's had to do with the fact that Teo Gutierrez, uh, his, his return from Colombia was delayed by the volcanic ash cloud, uh, which, which casts such a shadow over so many of the plans of journalists coming out to the Copa America and whatnot. Not us, obviously, because we just stayed here in Buenos Aires. Um, but, yeah, it, it will be interesting to, to see how much of a change uh, Moreno makes when he comes back into the side, and also whether him and, and Toranzo are both going to play alongside each other. Because Toranzo's been bought, he's not been loaned for a few weeks. This is, this is something that's happened with um, Banfield as well, who've, who've bought Rodrigo Lopez um, to, to replace Chucky Ferreira, Facundo Ferreira, who's away at the World Youth Cup. But he's going to miss the first four or five games of the, the Apertura, and then he's coming back to the club. It's no, not I'm, sure, I'm sure those two can play together. I mean, Toranzo yeah. can play as a, it's normally a number five, I think. Uh, and I was just reading today on the, on the transfers that Franco Zuccolini has gone back to. Mm. So Hoffenheim, Hoffenheim. Yeah. Although uh, uh, his I brother's still with the club, and right, well, as Seba and Dan would, would tell us if they were here, <laughs> who knows the better player? He's a new, he's a new Franco, right? He's a new Franco. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's, it's going to be really interesting for Racing, and, and in particular for uh, Simeone, because I think it's quite an interesting move for him to have made the step up to, up, I say, in term, made the step of going to Europe, and yeah. when he took over Catani, he saved them from from relegation, did a pretty good job. And everyone kind of seems to think, that's it, he's gone now. He's going to stay there and he'll wait for the Atletico job or for the, the Lazio job. And, uh, and and it's interesting to see him come back. And for, for to go to a club as well, which obviously is a huge club here in Brasil, you know, great history and uh, it's one of the grandes and you know, great fans and, and what have you. Um, but again, it's a difficult... And they haven't done well yeah. in the last what, 20, 10 years or so. They haven't won the league for, for 10 years or so. So, I mean, it's... You know, it could slightly backfire for him, so I'd be really interested to see how it goes. Uh, back, back to where it all began as well, because Simeone's first managerial job was... Uh, it was during a Klaus Sorder, what, five years ago, six years ago? He, he retired from playing because the, their old manager left. Simeone yeah, hung up his boots yeah. and, and took over the managerial job and lasted, I think, if I, if I remember rightly, he lasted six or seven games um, before being shown the door. So he didn't do very well then, and then obviously after that he went to Estudiantes, won a title had a very poor campaign afterwards, went to River, won a title, had a very poor campaign afterwards. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see whether he can become a bit more consistent in Argentina than, than he was before. Uh, but it's a very brave decision to go back, especially so relatively early on in his managerial career. Uh, you know, I wonder, have you heard anything about Joel? Why he, like, I've heard family reasons, personal reasons as why he came back. I mean, he could have stayed in Europe, I think. Uh, for, the, for the job he did in Catania, he could have, as he said, moved up. A notch for perhaps to Lazio or yeah. somebody like that. Uh, have you heard anything about I, I, any, any whispers? I have no, no, no. no I mean, the only thing that out on us here? <laughs> yeah, yeah, read about it tomorrow. <laughs> and, no, no, no. The only thing I mean that occurs to me really is it was two things. His son's still mm. still uh, playing here. His for son River for River Plate doing very well. A striker. Everyone's really, really impressed with him. Right. Very, very strong player. Plate's reserve teams and uh, youth divisions, we should clarify. Right. From the first yeah, no, of course. And in the youth system, <laughs> you're right. But I mean, he's, well, he's, still, right. he's still young. And, and also, Rassing is, is Simeone's club. He's been a member since he was, I think, seven or eight. So but I think he, the, the decision was to come back first right. and then he found the club which happened to be available. And yeah, he, he, he did say he's a fan of Rassing, but I think uh, he was going to come back either way. Uh, for family reasons, just like Carlos Tevez, leaving Manchester City for Milan. Or, sorry, Inter, Milan. <laughs> I suspect it had either something to do with his his it kids or, right. or his wife. Are they back? I, I, I don't know. I, I think they're mm-hmm. oh, uh, being around his wife. Anyway, having spoken about Racing, this seems like as good an excuse to any to talk about the remaining three members of the Big Five who are in the top flight this year. 
and the situation that they're going into because I've got the current promedio standings as they are at the beginning of the season I think the computer. they're going to be in huge trouble and yeah. San Lorenzo actually Independiente are okay um, having uh, they had a very poor season wiped off the standings um, over this break so they're up in 8th but uh, the other sides the, the newly promoted 4 obviously at bottom because they've got 0 points divided by 0 games at the moment but they'll start flying up as soon as they start winning and drawing a few games. Belgrano, San Martin and Atletico Rafaela and Union de Santa Fe, who we'll get onto a bit later uh, in the current relegation spots. But then you've got Tigre and Olimpo, um, and then above them, three in a row, Racing, San Lorenzo and Boca Juniors, perilously perched above the relegation zone. Yeah, if any of them get, a, get off to a bad start. I think they're going to be in real trouble because of... The fact that there's no really... I, I don't think there's any really weak teams like we had last year with Gimnasia, with... No. I mean... Even, you, even Tigre, who were... Who well, were Tigre would be the one exception. I mean, year, Tigre, so. perhaps, uh, prime candidates to go down. But beyond that, because I think the teams that have come up could be really good as well. Atletico, Rafaela, mm. uh, we saw what uh, Belgrano did against River. Yeah. Uh, I can see at least two or three of them actually competing and uh, you know, gaining points. And, and as we know with the teams that come up, all they have to do is, is it's really hard for them to if they finish mid or, or a lower bottom sort of table they, it's really hard for them to stay up but if, if they have a decent campaign uh, they because of the averages thing they they, they can uh, easily uh, leapfrog other yeah, teams absolutely so I, I think those three clubs the three grandes there are going to have a really tough time I think at least one or two of them are going to be like relegation contenders at the end of the season did, did either of you see Boca's uh Emirates Cup campaign or the, the friendly they played against no, Espanyol last week obviously Dan you don't, you don't have cable so probably not but Joel did you catch uh, it I, I saw game? part of the Arsenal game and um, with, with Boca obviously which they did well to come back from, from mm. 2-2 particularly bad news for Arsenal to be honest yeah. more, more than, more say, than good news for Boca yeah. more about Arsenal's campaign <laughs> yeah exactly but I mean but certainly with the result that they got against Espanyol and against Paris Saint-Germain as well in, the, mm. in, that, in that European tour Certainly, everyone's really negative about Boca yeah. at the moment, and they've had the same thing, which as that they had last year as well, which is where they signed a lot of a lot of players, a lot of good players, but it's not it's not coming together. They've not it's not a team. Exactly. So I mean, they, you know, this season they brought in Sitanich, um, who's obviously a really good striker, really talented, um, and and should do very well. Um, but they've lost Palermo, so they've lost. Uh, you know, obviously they've gained mobility and pace and, <laughs> and a couple of other uh, uh, aspects. But um, they've lost. But, but, but they've lost one of the great leaders on the pitch. Yeah. Um, to kind of combat that, they brought in Rolando Schiavi, but but Schiavi's thirty-seven, and you know, and, and is pretty much. I think it has the same pace as Palermo, pretty much. <laughs> and so you know, there's a, there's a question mark there. Um, Erviti and Riquelme, they're still not quite working in the middle. Mm. So and and particularly at Boca and particularly not having River Plate in the same division. You know, if they don't start well, if they don't get off to, to a decent start with a couple of wins in the first three or four weekends, um, then the pressure's going to be enormous. It's going to be absolutely no, huge. I think that's a, absolutely the, the key factor is how, how they start, uh, because, as you say, a couple of losses, and, and it's going to be immense pressure on them. On oh, which note, a big relegation clash starting the season in Bahia Blanca against Olimpo away from home. Two teams in the kind of five positions above the relegation spots there. Which will be enormous. The San Lorenzo in pre-season, all I know about them is they've been struggling to score. Really, they, they don't seem to have managed to find they, it that much. Which, considering some of their signings, is slightly surprising. But uh, yeah, they've got. Leandro Romagnoli's injured. 
playmaker and they've got some they've got some really decent players and there's one of my favourite players Ortigosa I think he's I think he's a, mm. a group favourite isn't he um, but and you know it'd be interesting to see Omar Assad he had a really good uh, couple of campaigns with with Goya Cruz and then went to Ecuador and so he's come back but I mean he hasn't been given much money at all and they're sort of fairly chronic institutional problems at San Lorenzo with debt with uh, with the opposition to the to the president and obviously with the uh, the points average on the relegation table so. Yeah, I don't think there's huge optimism at, at San Lorenzo, but by the same token, by avoiding bringing in big name players like Sitanich at Boca and, mm. and what have you, um, that also has a slight positive in terms of bringing together the squad and kind of not having such a high expectation for them. Yeah, if we could um, kind of uh, to round off our, our big five roundup, I've already mentioned the Independiente are well clear of relegation this season, but that's largely down to the fact that in 2009 2010 they got 68 points. Um, that'll get wiped off the the table at the end of this year and, and last season they won 43 points obviously a lot of this was to do with completely sacrificing their domestic form for particularly the Copa Sudamericana but then to some extent the, the group stages of the Libertadores as well during the Clausura but really they need to get points on the board for a very different reason from the other three the, the other three are fighting relegation this season Independiente presuming the new tournament doesn't come in next year in which case nobody will be relegated at the end of this season um, but Independiente have to, have to start trying to win games in order to fight relegation at the end of next season in in 2013. Are, are they going to manage it? I mean, well, I think they're going to struggle. <coughs> Sorry, I think they're going to struggle as well. Actually, just looking at the, they brought in very few players, and then they did a bit better last year after they after they were out of the the, the Copa. But yeah, I, I, I don't see them winning a lot of points. Yeah. Well, also they, they've. Got, already got off to a bad start because they lost the uh, Suruga <laughs> Bank, which highly which, prestigious. Well, there, there's a huge argument about this. They were saying a lot of the Independiente fans were sort of saying that they're they're going for their 17th international title. <laughs> it's not recognised by FIFA, but it is recognised by um, by Commonwealth and the the Asian uh, Federation. So and by the Suruga Bank, presumably. Well, clearly they're they're pretty happy with it too. But uh, but the point is though that it's it's a cup that it's a match which um, uh, which Independiente would clearly expected to, to win yeah. and they lost on penalties to uh, Jubilo Iwata so I mean that, that's a real blow to them and then they've got the, the Recopa as well this week yeah. um, and again so if they don't do well there then they're going to start off having lost two trophies yeah. which potentially would have had completely opposite effect so they could start with really low morale and, uh, and you're right they are going to struggle because their league results have been really poor over the last year or so, mm. and they're lacking a lot of quality in, in, in the squad. Yeah, as Joel just mentioned, that uh, they're playing the Recopa Sudamericana uh, in in the next week. A few people, if you decide to, to watch the Recopa Sudamericana, may wonder whether, uh, why Independiente are playing against Internacional rather than Santos. And the reason is <laughs> that the 2011 Recopa Sudamericana is played between the winners of the Copas Libertadores and Sudamericana in 2010. Is not played between the two most recent winners of those tournaments. Yeah, obviously, the is like a it's European Super Cup. Yeah, exactly. Um, so yeah, that, that's why. So Santos will be appearing in next year's Recopa Sudamericana, even if they go out in say the group stages of the Libertadores next year. Uh, it's, it's a bit of a silly system, really. But then we are on a silly continent for this this kind of thing, as we've discussed many times before. Um, so the big five or the big four. Really, uh, we should say for this season, yeah. shouldn't we? Yeah, um, all, yeah. yeah. all, all going to be relegated. They're, they're in, they're in very, very deep trouble. Love to see how Alpha would react to that. 
how they would use their imagination to I come up with. I'd like to think Julio Grandona's head would explode. I mean, <laughs> we, we can but hope. We're not expecting any of them to mount any any title challenges or anything. It's always hard to tell with Boca because, as you say, they buy great players. They, every year they buy, they spend a lot of money and they buy good players. And, and they have, on paper, a good squad. Viti, Arikiano, guys like this. Um, you never know. It might, might all just click for them and, and mm. they might they might win the tournament. But as for the rest of them, Racing as well, uh, it's hard to tell. A lot could depend on Gio Moreno, on Simeone, how he goes. But no, the rest of them, I don't see them having good campaigns at all. Um, I think we should probably mention as well uh, all boys. Uh, we've talked a little bit about Olimpo as well, but as, as the two sides who survived from last year's promoted sides and who, albeit at different times of year, impressed us a lot, particularly all boys during the Apertura and then they, they did enough during the Clausura. Olimpo at the start of the Clausura particularly were, were brilliant. Oh, are, are they going to do okay in their, let's say, difficult second season in the top flight? Or uh, for, uh, Given the quality of the sides coming up as well, who... I think it's it's easier in terms of averages and stuff. Like once you've survived the first season, it becomes easier because you're dividing by by two years, so you're allowed a little bit of leeway there. You've but still got an advantage over the sides who've been in three seasons, obviously, because right. you're still being divided by fewer points. Yeah, yeah, you're right. And um, they've got an extra year's experience. Well. But I think these these smaller teams struggle to put together several several good seasons. So then, yeah, it's, again, we're going to have to wait and see. But one or one or both of them could have. Uh, a few issues this this year, but I don't know, what do you think, John? Well, all boys are going to have to deal with the loss of Ortega and and Fabiano. <laughs> yeah, how Fabiani, who, who, yeah, who clearly produced so much. I mean, it's a shame because they're two really talented players, and, mm. and you know, just part of you thought you know, it'd be great just to go with the, the 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 insane idea of having the two of them together, um, but it, it didn't really pay off. But, but I mean, they played some really good football, especially in the Apertura last year. Um, Certainly, in the case of All Boys, and, and as you said, uh, Olimpo had had a really strong um, clausura. And I mean, certainly in the case of Olimpo, because they didn't have any big name players, mm. um, you know, it was very much the focus on on the team. Um, you know, very much playing down uh, what their hopes are, what their expectations are um, in in the season. Whereas with All Boys, all of a sudden, uh, it had a really good start up in first division and then all of a sudden everyone was like, "Oh, you know, can you challenge for the title?" And it's like, "Well, no. First things first. You know, we've got to stay up." Um, but uh, but as you said, I mean, you know, basically they're, they're two clubs with sides made up of, of decent players, but but not players with with huge experience say in, in top leagues in, in Europe. So it, it's impossible to call, to be honest, how, how it would go. I mean, they could carry on as, as much as they did in the, in the last season, or they could really really struggle. It much depends on whether the, the clubs who have gone up can can copy what they did last year. So yeah. Whether you know Rafael and Belgrano and these these clubs can can make such an impact that Olimpo and, and All Boys did last year. Absolutely. I think Patricio Perez is, is going to be an important player, one of the, the two Argentines who were in Australia last season down and, and who aren't in Australia this season. The other, of course, was Marco Flores, um, mm-hmm. your, your tip for Argentine abroad of the season, which I realised again I hadn't mentioned at the end of the last episode, so we'll try and remember to do so before <laughs> this one finishes, um, who's gone to China for, for a multi-million dollar sum. Uh, but they've also they've lost Emmanuel Higliotti, uh, which is going to be a big loss for them. Anyway, th- th- those two sides are, are, are going to need to, to push on. I think particularly Olimpo, they've got a relatively low points average, but at the same time, they've perhaps got a slightly more momentum behind them, having done relatively well in the Klaus Sola in, in the second half of last season, they could possibly kick on. Their squad turnover has been huge, though, over the winter. They, yeah, they've let a lot of players go. And thinking back to the Apertura of last year, they were quite poor, uh, yeah. so it's, I think it might be a, a struggle for them. Yeah. Um, 
The four promoted sides, we've said a bit about already. I mean, do we, Belgrano, obviously, we saw against River. Atletico Rafaela that won the division by a mile. We know that those are two good no, sides. I'm really excited about seeing Atletico Rafaela. Mm. Uh, I think they play Friday night uh, against... Is it Banfield? Banfield. Is that... Uh, that's right, yeah. Yeah, no, they're... they're yeah, that's right. Yeah, they're, they're playing the first match. In fact, um, so I'm really looking forward to see seeing them in the in the top division. I'm hoping that they they do something. I think they they could be quite a yeah. quite a, a good team. And of course, the return of the Santa Fe Clasico as well, the, the <coughs> Union against Colón. That'll be interesting, particularly if if Colón are, are doing well in the league with um, with the players that they've got. They tricky team to call Colón. I mean, they obviously last season they were dreadful at home, <laughs> but much better away as, as were quite a few of the teams in, in the division where we had a lot of home uh, of away wins particularly in the first kind of two thirds of the Clausura um, but Union uh, I think they're probably the team we know the least about of the four who've come up that they've kind of got in under the radar to a certain extent even though they were runners up in Nacional B which might have something to do with it we didn't see them in either of the relegation playoffs no, no that's absolutely right and I have to admit I, hadn't, I didn't see much of them at all uh, <coughs> last season I mean this is Part of the problem with the with the second division in the B Nacional is that they play on Tuesday afternoon yeah. and and Thursday morning and, and yeah, they're going to be through channels and something. Oh, is there a B Nacional game on? Exactly, <laughs> and so it, it's actually quite tricky to, to to watch the second division. And, and this is part of the problem with River now being in there is when yeah. when they're actually going to play because you know it's going to catch a lot of people. Um, as it is, it plays five o'clock on on a Tuesday afternoon isn't the uh, the normal time to to be watching. To be watching football, so um, but you're right. I mean, I think everyone's expecting. Obviously, Belgrano is going to be the story because they're the, the club that that relegated uh, River Plate and Rafaela were excellent. And but as I said, I, certainly with Union, I, I didn't see them much. But it's good that we've got another Clásico because we lost quite a few um, this season yeah. with Huracan going down, with Gimnasia going down, and with River going down. That's three Clásicos, and it's good that the one that's replaced it is not in Buenos Aires. Mm. Yeah, there's lots of talk about making the uh, you know spreading out the uh, the league here and having teams from outside Buenos Aires is more involved, and uh, and it is very centralised here. So it's good that that one of the Clásicos that we've that has that's come back via the promotion is is in Santa Fe. Absolutely, and of course we've had, um, which we mentioned in passing at the end of last season, but we've had four teams promoted from outside Buenos Aires, yeah. and had I mean three of the four relegated sides were within Gran Buenos Aires. So it's as as in fact Jonathan Wilson pointed out on last week's <coughs> podcast when we were talking about the potential restructuring of the league um, it, it's a more nationwide tournament now than it's ever been absolutely the and that's another reason I think perhaps some of these uh, grandes are going to struggle a little bit is because you don't have these I mean the away trips now are, are going to be difficult you know, like travelling away to, to Santa Fe and Cordoba and places like that mm. it's not easy I'm just looking for, uh, through just not that it's anything to do with what we've just been talking about, but I'm just trying to find out whether the the AFA have announced the um, the suspension on on the Monumental from from the riots at the end of last season, which you were at, weren't you, Joe? Yes. I don't know whether you want to say any a, a few words to us because none of us were were there. Um, no, I mean it was. Uh... <laughs> you okay? Yeah, yeah, I made I made it out, but <laughs> it, it did take a long time to, to get out. I was up in one of the the uh, the, the stands, the San Martin, um, and. Yeah, it was pretty tense for a while. You know, we couldn't. There was no way out. As I said, they they started firing uh, tear gas into into the stand, even though absolutely nothing was happening. <laughs> I mean, the police that day were were outrageous. Yeah. On many different levels, um, one was, as I said, firing tear gas into areas where there was nothing happening, where there were families, um, and it's clearly not helping the situation. The other was, you know, winding up fans on the way out, putting the thumbs down, you know, laughing at them having been relegated. Mm. You know, it was. It was 
it was very, very tense, he said, and uh, I mean, I was stuck there for about an hour and a half. Uh, there was sort of smoke billowing around the place, and, and you could hear you know, gunshots going off. So it wasn't quite clear what was happening. Um, and then on the way out, the area sort of near the, the ground was, you know, there was lots of smashed windows and, and yeah. what have you. But um, yeah, yeah, pretty tense afternoon. Mm. But we, I think everyone was expecting that. I think <laughs> <laughs> the, sec- the second we, you saw that River Plate were going to go down, it was you knew that that it was going to kick off. Yeah. But as I said, I think the authorities dealt with it pretty pretty poorly. Mm. I've just noticed how long we've been recording for, guys. I, I think now, if we, if I can ask you for, let's say, uh, since we're at the start of the season, um, and obviously the end of the season, assuming, don't worry, I've not forgotten, uh, assuming that there are teams who are going to be relegated. <laughs> assuming that the AFA's plan doesn't go ahead let's say if, if I can ask you to predict the two teams you think will be automatically relegated <laughs> Come on. and the most likely winners of the AFA tour I suspect we're all going to go for the same side on, on that last one but uh, Aussie Dan let's start with you um, Tigre and Boca are relegated and uh, that play playoff <laughs> in Boca's case <laughs> no, it's, it's a very difficult question Sam that you're asking now it is yeah um <laughs> No, really, yeah, it's 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 hard to tell. Uh, probably Tigre and one of the somebody like Union who who came up. It's it's hard to tell without having seen them. Um, in terms of championship, yeah, I think Vélez are going to have to be their favourites. And then I'll say, for example, Banfield. Uh, do, uh, do you have a potential player or two at the tournament as well? Players, players to watch, let's say. Um, Obviously, at this stage, we say it's tricky because we don't really know who's signed who and and whatnot. But well, for example. Ramirez in in Vélez uh, will perhaps step into the into the playmaker role, and he could have a he he always played well last year when he but he had Maxi Morales in front of him. Mm. Uh, he could have a, a really influential campaign. Uh, Joel, um, I, I think Tigre are really going to struggle because you just look at their points; they're they're mm. already really far off the pace. I mean, they, they've basically got to have a top six finish for both the Apertura and the Clausura to stay up. So I think they'll definitely go down after that. I think I think maybe Olimpo another one, but I say this as I said, not having seen the four four teams that have come up, uh, so I'd expect those two really to to struggle. Um, I think still the Andes will win the the Apertura. Okay. Um, I think they they brought in really well, and the players they've brought in as well aren't gambles as such. They're mm-hmm. players that you know, Borselli knows the club; he's already a legend there. So um, so I think they'll do well. And in terms of players to look look out for, uh, I'd say Sitanich at Boca because there's been a lot of talk for a number of years now about him coming to Argentina and uh, quite a few clubs have tried to sign him and I'm just curious to see how he gets on yeah. and of course that he's surrounded by good players so if Boca do hit it off he could be uh, he could be really uh, have a really really good season so I'm excited about seeing him I'm not sure he will be the star of the tournament but I'm, I'm intrigued to see how he performs yeah I'd agree with that I'll be watching Svitanich fairly closely and there are enormous boots to step into obviously as well Martin yeah. Palermo's if, if ever there was a player you didn't want to replace and the club you didn't want to replace him at, then that's the one. Um, ha- having said that, I thought we were all three going to choose the same side to win the Apertura. I'm actually, obviously I was talking about Meles at the time, um, but I'm actually now, I'm, I'm going to lean towards Lanús. So I have a feeling this, this business with Baleri might bring them together as a squad a bit more. Um, and obviously we already know from watching uh, the Argentine league over the last five seasons that it's incredibly difficult for a side to win two seasons in a row, yep. however good they appear to be at the start of the season. Um, so I'm going to say Lanús for, for that, just, just for a, a bit of a laugh. Um, <laughs> the relegated sides, is, Tigre are a very long way off the pace. I, I can't get a, look past the fact they, they, they managed 50 points last season, which was a huge 
boost on on the previous season's uh, record. But they're what they're sixteen points behind Racing, who are two positions above them. So I'm going to have to say Tigre and see. Having set the questions myself, I can't come up with an answer now either. Um, Tigre potentially San Lorenzo as well. Uh, San Lorenzo in, in the most desperate position of, of those three big five sides because at the end of this season um, they're going to have 52 points knocked off and they only got 47 last year which was fewer than any of the other big five because River managed 50, 58, 59 and 10 more points than San Lorenzo got even even though they went down um, so I'm going for Tigre and potentially San Lorenzo to, to be relegated and yeah as I say Svitanic is going to be the player to watch if not the player of the tournament um, and we're going to Piatri in, in Boca to yeah. see if he gets game time. I think he, you know, he potentially could be a really, really good player. Yeah, we'll see. Um, we're going to go away now. I'm, I'm going to play Mystic Dan's theme music, and then he's going to come back in because we've not forgotten about this. He is still going to be doing his predictions for this season. Um, so don't go away. Take it away with your first round predictions. Bearing in mind that we don't know anything about these sides, uh, no, I'm pretty, pretty sure I'm there are nine games this week, as well. I remember because Independiente San Martin I'm playing. Well, I'm um, pretty sure like eight, eight or nine of these are, are probably right. Uh, <laughs> I'm going for Banfield to be uh, Rafaela, even though I said I think Rafaela will be a good team, but Banfield for me one of the contenders. Uh, Union Argentinos draw, Uruguay's Belgrano draw, Arsenal to be Colón. Godoy Cruz uh, to lose to, to Vélez, uh, Estudiantes to beat Newells away, uh, Lanús to beat San Lorenzo away, Olimpo Boca draw, and Tigre Racing draw. That was one of the um, things that I mentioned in passing at the very top of the show, was Godoy Cruz Vélez on the first weekend is a really big title clash. It's, it's going to be fascinating to see, given that they were first and, well, third and first, rather than first and third. Um, in, in the class order it's going to be very interesting to see how those sides approach the new season um, particularly with Godoy Cruz in fear of losing Mariano Donda to Al Wassel of the United Arab Emirates who are now managed by I say managed <laughs> in inverted commas <laughs> by Diego Maradona um, yeah it'll be interesting to see how, how those two sides react but other than that it's a tricky round to to call generally particularly when we don't have any form to go on so far this season so yeah brave, brave decision to, to keep doing it Dan even though I effectively bullied, it, bullied you into it when you turned up um, a couple of other things that we should mention this week obviously Alejandro Sabella as was hinted at earlier has been officially unveiled now as, as Argentina's manager um, right man for the job Joe? Um, yes and no um, I'd really like to see a press conference with him. It doesn't sound like there's, there's going to be an, an official presentation. Well, they said they were going to do one, and then they, well, on exactly. Monday they went, oh, no, actually. Yeah, exactly, and with the, with the, the, the new league format and what have you, it's kind of been uh, brushed to one side. I'd be interested to see how you know, he approaches him and what he says, but, I mean, you know, he's, he's a guy who plays a very straight bat. Um, he's, he's a really good coach, there's no doubt about that. He doesn't have much, that much experience as the, the first-team coach, but he does have a lot of experience as the assistant. And yeah, he, I mean he's been at world, he's got World Cup experience yeah, with Pasadena, yeah, yeah, well, um, exactly. So I mean, you know, I think he's um, yeah, he's done really what he did really well at Estudiantes. I'm also very pleased that he didn't end up going to the Middle East because I think that would have been a slightly mm. something of a stagnation, stagnating period. Which they for him. Apparently, didn't know about because um, they were waiting for him to, to step off the plane and you know, he just didn't show up. <laughs> <laughs> didn't think to inform him that he was pulling out of that that job. 
Yeah, but I mean, yeah, I mean, he's he's a good, he's a really good coach, and he's got great material uh, mm. at his disposal. The only, the reason maybe that uh, that he isn't is you know whenever the job's available, everyone's saying, well, why isn't Carlos Bianchi given the role? Obviously, there's there are other reasons. It's not just sporting, but it's a shame because he's a brilliant manager who's who's achieved. Yeah. Hell of a lot at two different clubs, so it's clearly not um, not a fluke or not a, just a gifted generation that he, he was in charge of. And he knows Argentine football as well. Exactly, um, exactly. So I mean, he didn't, to be fair, he, he didn't do well at all in Europe. Um, it actually, completely failed. Certainly, <laughs> at, at Atletico Madrid. So you know, there's always that. But but here in Argentina, he's, he's highly revered and rightly so. And so that's maybe a shame. But I don't want to take away from Sabella because you know it's good that he's a young manager. He's very fresh still and. Uh, and I think it's going to be interesting to see how, how he sets up because mm. he's got a lot of attacking um, material, lot of attacking players that he can he can choose from. And it'll be interesting to see how he, yeah how he how he chooses to, to deploy all that. Yeah, just regarding Bianchi, it's almost, it would almost be a shame if he never got the chance to manage Argentina because as much as anything, uh, it would be a shame to not know how he would do in that situation. Well, and, and obviously we could say the same thing. Have Maradona never been given the job? We could say Maradona's always going for the job. It, it would be a pity if he didn't get the chance. But Bianchi's actually a football manager. <laughs> so, so it would be. In a way, it's a, it's a stroke of genius from him because he, in a way, it's a poison chalice. You, you yeah. always have fantastic players playing for Argentina, and, and there's only one team that wins the World Cup every four years, so you know, just about everybody's going to fail. And Bianchi's reputation is untouchable in Argentina, he's, he's revered. Mm. So, him not taking the job, in a way, you know. Leaves him with this reputation, which is not going to is not going to change. But also, I think to some extent, with Argentina's national side, you wouldn't it wouldn't necessarily be failure to not win the World Cup. If you won the Copa America, if you got them past the quarterfinals of the World Cup again, it would be for the first time now in what since 1990 was the last time they reached the semis. No, hang on, they didn't reach the semis. They reached, yeah, they were in the semis, and of course they were in the final in 1990. What am I talking about? So it would be the first time in in uh, well 24 years by by the time the next World Cup rolls around that they reach the semis even. Um, so it wouldn't necessarily be the only way to, to win would be by by winning. Um, let's say if if you could get them into the last four, it would be a success. Yeah, no, but I, but I agree with Dan, but it swings both ways. So I mean, yeah. on the one hand, you know they can always say, yeah, but with Bianchi we would win. Mm. But then if Bianchi took over, then you know it's, a, it's very very difficult. Clearly, plus it's in Brazil, so there's you know the added uh, well the pressure on Brazil is going to be enormous. But at the same time, the uh, you know, the, the fans behind them is, is also going to be a massive boost for them. So, I mean, that's doubly difficult. But at the same time, you know, th- this is one of the great challenges about the job at the moment. It's not just being Argentina manager, and it's not just having Leo Messi and Tevez and, and Aguero and Pastore. It's being the coach in the, at the World Cup in Brazil and having the opportunity to, to win the World Cup with Argentina in Brazil, which is something which is, be, you know, I mean, there's winning the World Cup and there's winning the World Cup in Brazil, so you know, it's, it's a great time for, it's a great challenge for any coach to be given the job, and you know, I think I think Sabella's a good choice, but yeah. as you said, you, you never yeah, as he said, he's a, he's, a, he's a serious guy, he's a proper coach, yeah, he, and he's a straight shooter, like, he, I don't think he's going to be influenced so much by fans demanding this, or such and such demanding this, like, as, as Batista was, uh, you know, he's not going to do anything crazy uh, like Maradona <laughs> uh, so you know on, on no, paper, no, like, for Garcia. no I don't think Garcia is going to make it but, um, I'll play Larry maybe <laughs> <laughs> no but we'll see how he goes but you know it looks like a, a good a good yeah. signing absolutely um, we, we've mentioned whilst talking about this uh, 
the winner of, of the 2010-2011 Irishian Times Abroad vote, which we held last year. This is a bit like the recopper, isn't it? <laughs> it is, yeah. And that's like a year late. Exactly, yeah. Uh, we, we do apologise for literally the two or three listeners who wrote in to me asking when we were going to announce it. Because I promised them that we'd announce it in the post-Cop America show after forgetting to do so in the pre-Cop America show with Tim Vickery. And then I probably forgot to do it <laughs> then as well, even though I mentioned it during the recording, although I edited it out for the actual podcast. Um... The, the, the winner was, uh, well actually, we had so many votes first of all for one player in, in his country's second division that we thought it would be unfair at least not to mention him. Um, so Crystal Palace goalkeeper Julian Speroni, thanks largely to a, a Twitter and, and public forum campaign by uh, one of our own good friends, Ed Malion, um, is, is deserving of a special mention, let's say best Argentine abroad in a lower league um, for, from the last season. Uh, yeah, no, absolutely, and, and, and it's the only award of its kind in the world because and the pod are the only people visionary enough to do this kind of thing. Um, but obviously, the the winner of the award for the best Argentine abroad last season could only be Lionel Messi, who was quite good. And part of the reason that we've 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 not mentioned him. And, and forgotten to do the award is there's not an awful lot that we can talk about really beyond just saying he's a bloody good footballer isn't he guys I mean. well Joel in, in, in 20 words Messi well I think you, yeah, you, you covered it pretty well new territory in the last pod by discussing his haircut I mean you're right there's nothing new to say it's you know the I mean, obviously his talent and just how much how great it is to watch him play is, is in itself it speaks for itself and then his record you know the uh, what, pretty much a goal a game mm. is, is just is unprecedented. It's the kind of thing it makes me always think of like a championship manager. You know, if you saw that, you'd say it's a cheat. You know, but it, but it's, it's happening. You know, it's, it's great to watch. But but it's, it's the kind of thing as well that he brings up himself. I mean, he's said in more than one interview that that he's better on the PlayStation. That the PlayStation version of him is better than than the real life version of him. Right. Uh, and I'm not really sure that it's true. Well, I saw a great comment though. Well, after the goal he scored against Arsenal in the Champions League, where he just. Uh, where I think it was Almunia came out and he and he just volleyed the ball up, yeah, just, yeah. just knocked it up for himself to then volley in. I'm, mm. I'm sure everyone remembers it. Brilliant, amazing goal. And I remember someone saying, you know, I dare or defy PlayStation to work out a way yeah, to do that. Yeah. I saw him do something similar. Actually, the first time I saw him live was in uh, at the start of 2007-2008 in the Camp Nou against uh, Sevilla. It was the the Camp Nou's 50th anniversary match, actually, and. Uh, Fairly dull game, but towards the end of it, Thierry Henry slightly underhit a pass to him, so it was going slightly behind him, and he did very much the same thing, kind of left a foot trailing and flicked it up and then smacked it in on the volley. And it was just, it was only when you saw it on the TV replay after the game that you realised what a brilliant finish it was. And, and that was four years ago. And he's improving. The other thing is, for a player as good as he is, you can still see him improving game by game, even now. When you watch him, you can see no, that he's learning the mistakes he In terms of like the, the way he um, sort of. Uh, Dictates play. Yeah. I think even when he when he loses his, his pace somewhat, when he's sort of 30, 31, 32, he's, he's going to be a fantastic uh, playmaker. He's going to mm. drop back to, to traditional number ten role, and he's going to be one of the best we've ever seen in that role. Yeah. So, and, and as has been mentioned in numerous articles, he's going to destroy Barcelona's goal scoring record probably yeah, in the next in couple the next of years. Two years. Yeah. I mean, if, if he keeps scoring at his current rate, he'll become Barcelona's all-time top scorer in La Liga. Uh, sometime around, I think in about a season and a half's time, he's, he's on course to do it. He'll, he'll be Before his 25th, he'll be the Barcelona. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Absolutely, yeah. He'll, he'll never be as good as San Martin unless he comes back and plays for, well, preferably for River or Boca, but obviously if he comes back and plays for Newell's, that'll be enough for the fans in Rosario at least. 
one of the infuriating things about being a journalist in Argentina and listening to the fans saying he's just not as good as Argentine fans are the only the only people in the world who don't seem to appreciate him fully because he's not played here in front of them uh, frequently enough and that's maddening as well. Uh, but Hand of Pod listeners at least are intelligent enough to, <laughs> to recognise the talents that is Lionel Messi. They're visionary enough to have picked him out of all of the, the myriad um, possibilities for that award. And so, well done, Lionel, if you're listening and indeed understanding any of this, because we know you don't speak English. There's one question that I feel we should try to cover, actually, because it, it, it's a very good one that, that came in from Twitter before we started recording. And it goes back to one of the things that we mentioned earlier, which was asking, it's from the Daft Punk One on Twitter. Uh, stop sniggering now, that's perfectly... <laughs> no, that's just the very BBC way you said that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm not sure quite what that is. <laughs> um, Great band. Yes, it's, it's something called Twitter, don't you know? <laughs> on the Twitter? I, I, have my servant, I, I have my servant check it for me several times a day. Um... He's asking how many more years uh, Beron has at the top uh, at the top level. We assume he's talking about Seba Beron rather than Paraguay's fullback. Um, and is there anybody remotely similar in play in the league? I mean, I said before you turned up, Joel, I was saying to Dan that I think Riquelme in some ways is similar in terms of being old, being basically immobile, but being brilliant. Um, yeah, I think positionally, admittedly, yeah. he's different. But Aussie Dan, what? what um, no, it's, it's a very good question, and I think I don't know if he's we, we could talk about him as, as being at the top of his game. I don't think he's been at the top of his game for, for four or five years. Well, at the top level, let's say, I mean, the top flight of his country. I mean, in Argentina, he's, he's superb because of the, the slower pace of the league. He, you know, what he did was, was ideal coming back at, at the age that he did, but he was really fading in Europe when he left. Um, and in terms of, oh well, I, I would give him two more years. It all depends on his injuries, right? Because mm. he's not particularly a, a fast player or anything. It just depends on whether he can... Yeah. Um, he can endure with injuries, and it, and it looks like he, he's having a lot of trouble with injuries. So one one year more, perhaps. This is one thing I was going to say. Actually, was that I, I just wonder with the fact that he's had surgery just recently, whether this is the beginning of of his body telling him that it's it's a bit much because he's what thirty three, thirty four now. Well, it has been for a while. And I think like every every time you see him play, he's all strapped up. And, mm. um, but and uh, no, it's a great question. And in terms of other players similar, I couldn't off the top of my head think of deep lying. Playmakers and his small. It's it's a great question because and and actually points to something about the current generation of players that there isn't someone like him, as you said, who's who's basically a holding midfielder, but you know with a fantastic range of passing, and and really gets moves the game forward from from such a deep position that I don't think there's anyone really that that can um, that that can replace him in in that yeah. sense. Uh, but I, I totally agree with with what Dan was saying. I don't think he's got more than a year. To be honest, maybe really? even, maybe even six months, but yeah. um, but but again, he's, I mean, he's he's a fantastic player, that, and he's and he's one of a kind. He's you know the same that there's not really a player like Raquel anymore. There's not a player like Bedon, mm. and uh, and this is also part of the problem with with the national team. You know, not having that kind of player um, is is or that that profile. You know, it's not about having whether or not they're as uh, as world class as as Bedon was in, in his day, but but uh, not having that profile of players is, is a problem for for the team. Yeah. Um, I think that the best that we can say about him is, whilst I probably agree with you, Joel, that he might only have a, a year left, um, if that, he was in the World Cup squad a year ago, and it was one of the, although Maradona made several call-ups, particularly from the local league, that had people scratching their heads and saying, what the hell is he on? Of course, it's Diego Maradona, so he could be on anything. Um, but but Beron was one of the players who that wasn't said about. It was 
yeah, I mean, he, he, he might well deserve a place in the side. Maradona said after, what, the second match in, in the tournament, he's, he's Argentina's shabby. This was immediately before dropping him. Um, <laughs> but it, it's a very good point. He's, they don't have that kind of midfielder. The only player I could think of who could potentially turn out to be similar at the moment could be uh, one of the players that you chose, Dan, um, last year as one of your players from the Clausura, Rodrigo Bataglia. Yeah, he may or may not move to a Primera División side at the moment. He's still with Huracan for now, uh, but he, he's he's in the in the sightlines of a couple of Primera División teams and possibly one or two foreign sides as well. Um, the, again, the, again slightly different. He crossed my mind as well, but I, I think like a lot of these younger guys, even uh, uh, Bruno Zuccolini, they're, they're sort of deep lying midfielders, but uh, they're, they're a bit more sort of dynamic. They're, they're more about getting forward and. and Short passing and, yeah. and, and because a lot the game's of moved on since they were training well, as well. I mean, Veron was uh, 17, 20 years ago. Well, no, sorry, uh, seventeen years ago. Let's say half his lifetime. Ago, right, exactly. Those players were yeah. seventeen, what three? But no, years ago, really, so. I don't see another player in the in the same mould as Veron mm. at the moment. The other thing is that Veron is is um, a real leader, and that's another thing which is lacking in. In the in the national team is these kind of these, these personalities, these strong characters. It's got Baron in, in a lot of a lot of problems in his career. Um, you know, a couple a couple of the clubs where he's been there, there've been difficulties because of this, which he himself admits. And you know, it's not a criticism; it's just it's the way that he is. And and he himself says, you know, I wouldn't be any other way. But but having that kind of leadership, both in the obviously in the dressing room and on the pitch, is also something that's lacking, and and something that very much makes Baron the player that he is. You know yeah. that presence, and I think that's something that, and it's not just because now that he's he's in his mid thirties. It's something that he's always had. He's always been that kind of player on the pitch. Um, always been a strong presence, and uh, and that's another reason why there's not someone who kind of has this this uh, aura about them. Yeah, in in which I, I suppose the only comparable player on the national side at the moment could be Mascherano, who famously debuted for Argentina before he debuted for River Plate, and and was captain of Rivers under. 19s at the age of no captain of Argentina's under 21s at the age of 17 or something, but in a very different way. The presence that he's got, he just shouts at people, whereas Moron gets his message across almost without talking at times, never mind shouting. Um, I mean, I agree, it's a really good question, and hopefully, we've talked enough to answer it. <laughs> uh, hopefully, <laughs> some of this <laughs> makes some sense. Well, I'm um, going to be specifically keeping an eye out now in the next season to see if there's any. Any similar type players to Veron. Yeah, and also whether there's any kind of deterioration in his game because until now, at least, whilst you say he's heavily strapped up, we're not expecting his fitness to to carry on for for much longer. But he's the quality is clearly still there when he's when he's on the ball and, and able to direct the play, even if his studiantes are noticeably holding him back for the bigger games. Let's say. I think I hope that we've we've done enough to to preview the other Torah. Uh, we're all grinning slightly inanely at the moment in, in, in the hope that, that we have done because we didn't really plan this podcast before uh, coming on we'd like to say an enormous thanks to, to Joel for subbing for, for the two Racing fans and, and for also not talking about Racing too much because we have complaints <laughs> about that sometimes uh, I figured it was, it was about time you had a break yeah no, absolutely <laughs> uh, hopefully as well we'll be able to get you back on later in the season when, when the other two are here and, and actually have you as, as a guest proper at, at some point since we've been promising to do so since we started this up uh, I'm particularly excited at, at the prospect of doing a pod with you and Seba again after a very short lived couple um, that we did several years ago via Skype when I was living in England yeah and, and otherwise I'd also I'd, I'd like to say before I forget um, 
that a few of the people who follow me on Twitter may have noticed that the composer of the Hand of Pod theme tune, which we know is a very popular element of the show, if not the most popular element of the show, um, has recently put up a couple of videos on YouTube of uh, tutorials or demonstrations on 1920s ragtime drumming. Uh, he's my best friend, and he's, he's a professional uh, swing jazz and ragtime uh, drummer. So I recommend checking those out. I'm going to put a link up and maybe embed one or two of them on, onto the, the Hand of Pod blog when I do this, because we, we'd like to... So many people ask me about him and, and who did the theme tune, where I got it from. I'd like to start promoting No, absolutely, yeah. And he also does the Mystic Dan theme. Uh, one or two of you may have noticed, if, if you're very Not hard really listeners... The, the theme. Yeah, that, that it's based on the... Uh, well, it's based on the same pod. I'm trying to get him to visit me in Argentina one day. He's not got very much money because he's a musician. But if he does, then we might be able to get him on, on the podcast as a special guest. Not that he knows anything about Argentine football. Hello, Nick, if you're listening. <laughs> Which he will be, because <laughs> he's a subscriber. Um, but yeah, check those videos out as well. Enjoy the Torneo Apertura, ladies and gents. If, if you're going to be watching the first round, then do so with Australian Dan's predictions uh, in mind. And laugh when none of them come true. <laughs> Probably, if, if last season had anything to go by. Um, for now, it's it's goodbye from from me, Sam Kelly. Goodbye from Australian Dan. Goodbye. And goodbye from special guest Joel Richards. Goodbye. Ciao. Plus, his wife is a raging slut. I think might have something to cut. <laughs> <laughs> I think we're going to leave that in. <laughs> that, that's the intro, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>